Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. And <clears throat> let's just read from verse 1 as we begin this morning. It says, And it came to pass that when Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here I am. <clears throat> and he said, Behold, now I am old, and I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison. And make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. Let's just commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, Mary, Father, we... Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather around your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we continue our study in the book of Genesis, that Lord, you would speak to our hearts this, this morning, uh, that you would teach us through your word, uh, bless us, refresh us uh, by it this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, empower me through the spirit as only you can, and that Lord, this morning it would be your words, your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in chapter 27, we have yet another familiar story in the book of Genesis, the, the account of Jacob going in and tricking his father to obtain the blessing. Now, most times when we consider this event, or most times when people consider this event, the focus is solely upon the actions of Jacob and Rebekah. You know, Jacob is seen as a sly schemer, intent only on acquiring money, acquiring possessions by whatever means he can devise. He's seen as a shrewd, crafty, covetous man with no ethical conscience. A man who only seeks his selfish interests. Rebecca, she's betrayed as a scheming mother who is determined to ensure that her favorite son receives the blessing. The picture is of a divided home with the father supporting the elder and the mother supporting the younger son. And with everyone scheming and, and deceiving to further their own self-interests. And indeed, if we read chapter 27 in isolation, without any knowledge of anything before this, that's exactly how Rebecca and Jacob come across. And indeed, it's how the family seems to be. But you see, this passage is not in isolation, is it? It's not in isolation. It is in the context of the overall story of Genesis and in the context of the overall story of Jacob and Esau. And so we need to consider it in context. And Jacob and Esau, they were first introduced to us back in chapter 25. Let's just go back there. We're going to do a little bit of refreshing our minds this morning. Chapter 25 and verse 19 says, And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, 
the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pandan Haram, the sister to Laban the Syrian, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived, and the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days were uh, to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Esau was threescore years old when she bare them. Now, if you remember when we talked about this, you know, Isaac and Rebekah, they had waited years for children to arrive. For 20 years, Isaac and Rebekah had been praying and, and seeking the Lord. And finally, God answered their prayer and gave them twins. But while they were yet in the womb, Rebekah became aware that something was not quite right. They were struggling within her. And so she sought the Lord and God revealed to her that she had two sons in her womb who would be the father of two separate nations and that the struggle in a womb was an indication of the struggle that would exist between those nations. But most importantly, the Lord revealed to her that the elder shall serve the younger. The Lord God told her that his choice was the younger son, Jacob. That it was Jacob who was to receive the birthright, the blessing. It was through him that all the promises would be fulfilled. It was Jacob who would inherit the land. It was Jacob who would become the head of the nation through whom the whole world would be blessed, the nation of Israel. You see, this choice was based on God's foreknowledge. God knew that Jacob would be a man of faith and he knew that Esau would be a man of the flesh, a carnal man. And indeed their characters were revealed to us as they matured into young men. Verse 27 there in chapter 25, it says, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Verse 27 in particular there tells us that Esau, he was a, he was a man of the field, he a uh, cunning hunter it says. And we talked about the fact that that really was that he was a sportsman, a sports hunter. Okay? He liked to spend his time hunting for sports. And it's really focusing on the fact that he was a carnal man, seeking the pleasures of life. He had no concern for the spiritual. And Jacob, on the other hand, it says, was a plain man dwelling in tents. And the word plain there means perfect, mature, pious. He was a pious man. And he showed that maturity as he sought after the spiritual with earnest. You know, that was proven to be true when Esau despised his birthright, selling it to his brother for a bowl of stew. And we see that at the end of chapter 25, don't we? Let's just read it. Verse 29, it says, And Jacob sod pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, 
and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. When we looked at this passage, we talked about the fact that Jacob didn't trick Esau into doing anything. There was no deception here. Esau willingly sold his birthright to his brother because he saw no value in it. He didn't care about the spiritual. Jacob's sin in that passage was that he failed to wait upon the Lord. He took matters into his own hands. He tried to anticipate the will of God. And instead of waiting upon the Lord, he rushed ahead of God to make things happen, to get the birthright which he knew belonged to him according to the Lord. And so it's with this background knowledge in mind, this background knowledge of Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah, that we need to come to the passage before us. Because we already know the character of the two sons, don't we? Esau was a carnal man. Jacob was a spiritually minded man. He was flawed, yes. He had his problems, but he was a spiritually minded man. And we also know that Isaac and Rebekah were well aware which son God had said was to be blessed. And so with these things in mind, we consider the events before us in chapter 27. And so first of all here this morning, we see Isaac's determination to thwart God's will. Isaac's determination to go against the will of God. Let's just read verse 1 again. It says, And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old and I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison and make me savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. The first thing we notice here in this passage is that Isaac is determined that he is going to give the blessing to Esau. That's his determination. That is his desire. He wants to bless Esau. He wants to give to Esau the blessing that his father Abraham had given to him. And by this time, Isaac, it says, is old, he's blind, and he appears to be now bedridden. And most commentators agree that Isaac was 137 years old when this event takes place. Now, that calculation is arrived at by looking at the ages of others after this and backtracking. Okay? We don't have time to go and look at it all, but it does seem to work out. Okay? It's a good estimation of his age, 137. And it's interesting that at, uh, 137 is the age that Ishmael, his half-brother, died at. Uh, Genesis 25 verse 17 says that. And so perhaps it's, it, he has that on his mind, that he's at the same age that his half-brother was when he died. And maybe part of the, that's part of the reason why he believed he was now going to die himself, uh, not too far into the future. And so he wants to set things in order, and he wants to make sure that Esau, his choice, is the one who's blessed. You know, the truth is that Isaac wasn't even close to the age of his death. He wasn't even close uh, to how old he would be when he passed away. Go over to chapter 35 with me just quickly. <clears throat> chapter 35 and verse 28 says, And the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore years. And so he lives to be 180 
Okay, so he's not even close to the age of his death yet. He has another 43 years to live. But he wants to make sure that Esau is the one who's blessed. We also need to understand as we consider this story here, that his two sons, Jacob and Esau, they are now both 77 years old. They're 77. They're not teenagers easily influenced by their parents. The point is they're mature men who are fully aware of what they're doing. Okay, they're fully aware of what is taking place, what is happening. They know what's happening, okay? They're not children. They're 77 years of age. And so Isaac, believing that he is near death, he calls for Esau to come before him so that he might give him the blessing before he passes away. And we saw that in verse for it says, and make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. He instructs Esau to go out into the field, to go hunting as he loved to do, and to find some venison, to kill it, and bring it back, and prepare this meat for him to eat. And he says that when he does this, he will then bless him. And so Esau leaves to go on this hunt with these words in mind. This is his motivation. Now remember, Esau knows he's sold his birthright to Jacob, so legally it belongs to him. He also is most likely aware of the prophecy, so he knows it belongs to his brother, but he's now determined to make sure he gets it as he leaves on this hunt. And the question might be asked here, you know, why does Isaac send him to fetch a meal first? Why doesn't he just give him the blessing now <laughs> rather than sending him out to hunt first of all? Now, Morris, Morris writes this, he says, it was customary to mark solemn occasions by some kind of feast. And since Isaac had resolved to bless Esau, it seemed appropriate that the solemnities should be marked by a feast provided by Esau's skill at hunting. And so Morris says that it was part of custom. Now that's why he sent him to fetch the meal first and that it was provided by Esau's skill. Uh, Wearsby had a totally different take on it. He saw it purely as a desire to enjoy a meal from his favorite son. He says this, Isaac was sure he was going to die, and yet his greatest desire was to enjoy a good meal at the hand of his favorite son and cook, Esau. Now, whatever the exact reason for the meal request, it's part of the preparation before uh, Isaac will give the blessing to Esau. And it's clear from verse 5 that all of this is done without the knowledge of Rebekah. Look in verse 5 with me. It says, And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. Rebekah only learns about this by overhearing the conversation. She's not privy to it. She doesn't know that this is taking place. There's no consultation here between Isaac and Rebekah, between husband and wife, before this takes place. And so it seems that Isaac is actually trying to do this without her knowledge. He's trying to get this done without Rebecca knowing. Morris writes this, The secretive nature of Isaac's plans can only be explained on the assumption that he was ashamed of what he was doing, knowing that Rebecca would not approve, but hoping that he would get it accomplished before she could interfere. And so it seems like he's doing this in secret. He's trying to get it done before Rebecca knows anything about it. 
The point is that in this passage, it's Isaac who shows favoritism. Isaac is the one here who is showing favoritism to his son Esau, his favorites. It's Isaac in this passage who's acting sinfully against the Lord. You see, he is determined here to give the blessing unto Esau in direct disobedience unto the Lord. Direct disobedience. Now, he would have known the prophecy that God had given unto Rebekah. She would have shared it with her husband. He would have known that God had said the elder was to serve the younger. But more than that, he knew the character of his son Esau as well. He knew that his son Esau was a carnal man, not interested in the things of the Lord, not interested in the spiritual. He would have known surely that Esau had sold his birthright to his brother for a bowl of stew. That his brother had despised, sorry, that Esau had despised his birthrights and confirmed this transaction with an oath. And that alone meant that Jacob had the legal right to the birthright and blessing. But not only that, he had seen his son Esau show total disregard for his spiritual heritage by marrying two ungodly heathen women. At the end of chapter 26, verse 34, it says, And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. He has seen his son Esau totally disregard his spiritual heritage and go and marry two heathen women. And that alone disqualifies him from the blessing. That alone means he, he shouldn't receive the blessing. You see, the point is, despite all of this, knowing the prophecy when they're in Rebekah's womb, knowing that Esau has despised his birthright and sold it to his brother, knowing that his son Esau has gone and took two heathen wives, knowing all of this, Isaac still is determined that he is going to bless Esau. You see, what we see here is a sad spiritual decline. That's what we see. This is the same man who, by faith, willingly laid down upon the altar there on Mount Moriah. Remember when his father, Abraham and Isaac, went up the mountain there? He willingly laid down by faith upon the altar. This is the same man who had trusted God concerning a choice for a wife in Rebekah. He trusted God and he accepted God's choice. This is the same man who had sought the Lord prayerfully for 20 years before the Lord finally gave them children. And now we see that same man seemingly determined to disobey God. Determined to knowingly go against God's will and bless his favorite son. Morris writes this, Isaac's deliberate intent to thwart the purpose of God was motivated primarily by his personal love of Esau. And that was because he did eat of his venison. It is hard indeed to comprehend how such favoritism on the part of such a presumably spiritual man as Isaac could have been based on such a carnal and unworthy motive. It is sad to see Isaac. Isaac here, this man who once was such a spiritually minded man, now clearly acting against the will of God. He's walking in the flesh. He's not walking in the spirit. You know, in Isaac, we see the truth that a good beginning does not guarantee a good ending, does it? Just because we begin well does not mean we'll finish well. And that's repeated, uh, a repeated lesson right throughout the Word of God, isn't it? 
You know, you see it with Gideon. Began well, didn't end well. You see it with King Saul. He started out well. He finished poorly. King Solomon, the same thing again. Demas in the New Testament. Turned back and he loved this present world. You see, the point is that it's not just important that we begin well in this Christian life, but that we finish well. That we finish the race well. You see, the race is not over until we see Christ, is it? And so no matter how old we get, we have to keep our eyes upon the will of God. Must never lose sight of God's will. Must always ask, is this God's will? Is this what he wants? If not, then we turn away from it and we do what God has asked us to do. You see, God's will must always be our focus, always be our goal. And sadly, Isaac here, he's got his eyes off the will of God. He's determined simply to do what he wants. That brings us now, secondly, to our second point. We see Rebecca now, and we see Rebecca's determination for God's will. Isaac was determined to thwart God's will. Rebecca is determined for God's will. Let's just read verse 6. It says, And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord, before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock, and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I'll make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. Now shalt bring it, to thy father that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. In Rebecca, we see a determination that God's will be done. Upon hearing, overhearing Isaac's plans to bless Esau, Rebecca immediately springs into action. She immediately calls for Jacob and she outlines her plan to prevent this from taking place. And we just read that in verses 6 to 10. And the plan was, of course, for Jacob to go into Isaac pretending to be his brother so that Isaac might pronounce the blessing upon him instead. Rebecca instructs him here to go quickly and to fetch two kids of the goats so that she can prepare the meat and he can take it in unto his father. And just in case Jacob hesitated in obeying her words... Rebecca invokes here her right to uh, filial obedience. And it's seen in the words in verse 8 there, it says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Basically, she calls upon him to respect her as his mother and to with haste obey her words. She basically says, I'm your mom, now obey me. And he shows respect and he obeys her in this. And the question we must immediately ask here is what is the driving force behind Rebecca's actions? That's the question we have to answer here. What is the driving force? What is her motivation? You know, was it an ungodly, selfish one? As many say it was. Or was her motivation godly but misdirected? You know, so often Rebecca's motivation here is said to be favoritism. You know, that she puts this plan into action primarily because of her love for Jacob. And that she would do anything to make sure that her favorite is the one who's blessed and not Isaac's favorite. Indeed, one commentator portrayed the whole scene as a horrible game of chess 
with each trying to outmaneuver the other. He writes this, It was his hasting to bless Esau, which drove Rebekah to checkmate him by winning the blessing for her favorite. And so he portrays it as a game of chess, and that Rebekah wins, she checkmates Isaac into getting her way. And indeed, there is a lot of commentators who are of that opinion. That it's favoritism that leads her to do this. But we need to ask the question, is that really her motivation? Is that what the scriptures say is her motivation? Is that what the passage teaches? After studying this week, I believe that's an unfair assumption. That's not said in the word of God. You see, knowing the context, and we started out in the introduction by looking at the context, knowing the context, the the events that have preceded this, it's clear that her motivation here stems from her knowledge of God's will. It stems from the fact that she knows that God has said, the elder shall serve the younger. She knows God said, Jacob is to be the one who receives the blessing. And so she is motivated here by her concern for God's will to be done. Her concern for God to be obeyed. And if that means tricking Isaac, she will go to that length. Now, does that mean her actions are excusable? Of course not. Of course not. Lying, deception is sin. It's wrong. But her motivation was right. Okay, that's the point. If we say that it's favoritism, then everything's wrong, isn't it? But she started from a right motivation. She wants the will of God to be done. She just goes about it the complete wrong way. You see, what we see here in Rebecca is an imperfect faith. She failed to realize and understand that no matter what men may do, God's will will still be done. She failed to understand that. She shows an imperfect faith here, thinking she needs to help God. She has to prevent this from happening. Morris writes this, She may have failed to understand and perhaps had inadequate faith to realize that God's will would be be accomplished whether or not men cooperated in its accomplishment. Isaac's blessing of Esau could not possibly overrule what God had long ago decreed. But Rebekah seems to have been afraid that it might. And so she resolved to see that Jacob would receive that, that which was rightfully his regardless of any consequence. And so this is what's her motivation here. She just springs an action. She wants to prevent this from happening. But she has an imperfect faith. God is able to take care of the situation, isn't he? And you know, the suggestion is made that what Rebecca should have done is she should have gone and talked to Isaac. She should have had a conversation with him. And that perhaps Isaac would have seen the light and he would have agreed with her and turned from his evil ways. One commentator suggested this. He said, if Rebecca had gone and with humility and seriousness put him in remembrance of that which God had said concerning their sons, if she further had shown him how Esau had forfeited the blessing by both selling his birthright and by marrying strange wives, it is probable that Isaac would have been prevailed upon to knowingly and wittingly confer the blessing upon Jacob and needed not thus to have been cheated into it. And that sounds great, doesn't it? You know, that she should have gone and talked to her husband and he would have surely listened and he would have turned from his evil ways. But that doesn't fit with what we know from God's word. Remember, Isaac is now 137 years old. 
Are we supposed to believe that Rebecca has not had this conversation with her husband before this? Are we supposed to believe that she hasn't had it with him many times? You know, this is a concern on her heart. And no doubt she has talked with him about this many times in the 77 years since that prophecy was given. You see, the point is, when this happens, she knows her husband's mind is made up. She knows his heart. She knows what he's determined to do. And so she springs into action. You see, Rebecca sees this as her only chance, her only option to stop this sin from taking place. The only way to prevent her husband from doing something that would no doubt bring the judgment of God. Morris again writes this, perhaps she intended to use this means to call Isaac's attention to his presumptuous determination to thwart God's will. He had not heeded her previous pleadings on Jacob's and God's behalf. Perhaps he could be brought to see the enormity of his error if he were forced to bless Jacob in spite of himself. Perhaps also he would spare Isaac the almost certain wrathful retribution of God if he were to carry out this plan. Indeed, if Jacob did carry out, Isaac, sorry, carried out this plan, there would have been judgment from God because it was sin, it was wickedness. And so perhaps that's part of her motivation too. She wants to stop her husband doing something so wicked and coming under the judgment of God. You know, it seems clear that it's with God's will in mind that she does this. That's her determination. That's at the heart of the matter. She puts this plan into action because she wants God's will to be done. It's the wrong plan, yes. She should have sought the Lord in prayer. But her, her heart is in the right place in that sense. Her motivation was right. You know, it's important to also note here that there is absolutely no immediate benefit for herself or Jacob through this plan. No benefit whatsoever. You know, Morris, he again says this, Rebecca knew she was taking a terrible risk of permanently alienating both Isaac and Esau by the scheme, since it would only be a matter of a few hours at most before it would have been discovered. And she knew that Jacob also would realize this. You see, this scheme had no present benefit to Jacob or Rebecca. There was no present benefit. It wasn't going to mean they had heaps and they had uh, present blessings materially. There was no way that was going to happen. And so this scheme is not born out of that. It's the whole point. It's not born out of this selfish determination for her son to receive all this blessing. It's born out of the fact she knows God's will. And she wants God's will to be done. Her motivation was right, but she went about it the wrong way. She lacked faith in the power of God to accomplish his will without her help. You know, the end never justifies the means, does it? The end never justifies the means. Beloved, we can learn from both parents here this morning. You know, in Jacob, we see a man who toward the end of his life, he got his eyes off the will of God. Got his eyes off the will of God and he was walking in the flesh and he was determined to bless Esau, even though it was clearly not God's will. He's rebelling against God. You know, he should have surrendered to God's will and he should have been the one leading in all this, shouldn't he? He should have been the one taking the lead as the head of the home, as the man of God, he should have been leading in all this. Rebecca, on the other hand, she's determined to see God's will, but she goes about it all the wrong way. Her actions are still sin. 
And we need to understand that. They are still sin. It was a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God's power and to overcome obstacles. And it led to her lying and deception and in, you know, getting Jacob to do these things. And so we must be careful not to ever lose sight of God's will in our lives, but at the same time let God accomplish his will in his perfect timing. Not rush ahead of the Lord. Not seek to accomplish these things in our strength according to man's wisdom. You see, whenever we do that, it never ends well, does it? There's always consequences. There's always baggage that comes along because we rushed ahead of the Lord. I'm going to finish there and tonight we'll pick up and continue on and we'll look at Jacob this evening. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. <clears throat> and Lord, I trust that we've gained a, an understanding of your word this morning, an understanding of the heart of Isaac and Rebecca. And Lord, may you help us to not ever lose sight of your will, to keep it ever in our full mind, and Lord, to always seek what you want for our lives. But Lord, help us also to seek it in the right way not rush ahead of you, not seek to accomplish things through uh, man's wisdom, but Lord, wait patiently upon you. Help us to learn to just trust in you and obey you in your perfect timing. Uh, Lord, bless now as we close. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.